listening to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with host Shereen Rice on the CWR Talk Network. Good evening, this is Shereen Rice of Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. My goal for this show is to educate and help in the healing journey for those that are suffering from domestic abuse. I'm pre-recording tonight, so you cannot call in. I took uh, my Christmas break off last week, so this week I'm back. And next week, uh, something more powerful as well. If you're listening tonight and would like to get in touch with me, you can email me at shereencwr at gmail.com. Let me spell that out for you. S-H-A-R-E-E-N-E-C-W-R at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I'd like to remind everyone that our show is every Thursday night. 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 Central. My show can also be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Google Play if you subscribe to those services. If you want a direct link to those services, you may go to the CWR homepage on the website cwrtalknetwork.com and click on the logo for that service. If at any time you experience a trigger by this topic, please call the national hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE one 800 7233 Our topic tonight might be a little bit triggering. It's on trust. And trust is sometimes difficult to discuss, but we'll be discussing all aspects of trust. Right now, we're going to go to a public service amount announcement, so hold tight. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel. And a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shereen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. My topic tonight is on trust, like I said before. Who can we trust? Um, can we, uh, as domestic violence victims and survivors, who can we trust? Can we trust anyone? Can we trust family, ecclesiastical leaders, law enforcement? Will we ever trust again? This is a big question that is asked. I read an article recently that made me think of this issue on trust that all victims and survivors seem to have. It's, the story is called Nowhere to Turn, Women Say Domestic Abuse by Police Goes Unpunished. It's by Alexandra Heal, and she is writing for the Bureau of Investigative Reporter. I am not going to read the article to you, but I want to read some excerpts that really made me think. The first excerpt, um, domestic abuse, is often pred- predicated on fear if not always predicated on fear, right? Fear of what your abuser will do next. Fear that you're going mad. Fear that no one will believe you. Many of those affected are understandably afraid of how their partner will react if they report them. Some do so anyway. But report them to whom? Not only law enforcement, but to ecclesiastical leaders, to family members. 
Okay, another excerpt. He used to say that police would protect him, and if I phoned up against him, he'd just get me put in prison, she said. One day, it was too much, and I did phone. In hindsight, that was the biggest mistake of my whole life. I cannot tell you how many times I've had victims say the worst thing that could ever they could have ever done is called law enforcement because law enforcement exasperate the situation usually not always uh let me share uh, an eye opener that I had it was in 1987 this before I really knew anything about domestic violence um no I I'd heard of it um, I knew very little about it, not like today. Okay, so in 1987, uh, Joel Steinberg was a criminal defense attorney in New York. He had a living girlfriend, her name is Hedda, and two adopted children, Lisa and Mitchell. One night he became physical with Lisa. He was on crack, and he hit, hit her. Um, but one thing I didn't uh, know at the time was that uh, that he was on crack. That was actually new information to me when I read that. Um, one thing I remember him saying to his living girlfriend at the time was that she would be okay and had to believe that. Uh, so in my mind, I'm like, you know, in 1987, I had just had my first child or was just about to have my first child. And I was thinking, why would she ever believe that? So she believed it, or she feared him, and he went out partying in New York while Hedda stayed with the six-year-old Lisa, who lay dying on the floor. After 10 hours, Hedda called 911. You may ask why she waited 10 hours, because I did. I couldn't believe she waited 10 hours uh, when she watched her child, or this adopted child that she took in as hers, lie bleeding and dying on the floor. They used to actually call this battered person syndrome. And Lisa eventually did die. The battered person syndrome is what Hedda experienced. So let's talk a little bit about that before I talk about trust. BPS or battered person syndrome is classified internationally as, and this is the code, ICD, uh, ICD-9 code 995.81. Um, BPS is, re- is related emotionally, physically, and sexually uh, sexual abuse. The symptoms overlap PTSD a bit, so but not much. So these are the symptoms. You fear for your life. Your daily activities are affected. Manipulated to threats of violence, unwanted sex, degradation, isolation, among others. Health issues ensue. Um, you could have intimacy issues as well following uh, BPS. So you can see where they overlap with um, better persons. I mean, uh, PTSD. So let's talk about trust. Hedda Nosbaum was her name. She should have been able to trust a defense attorney a criminal defense attorney, and probably did when he said that little Lisa would be fine. Or did she fear him because he didn't want her to call 911? So my question is, how much of it was fear? Or was it trust? Had it actually had to have reconstructive surgery herself on her face because of Joel's beatings? So 
he beat everyone in the house. In fact, they found little Mitchell had some um, abuse to him as well. Uh, there or showed signs of abuse. Hedda was not arrested or prosecuted and did testify against him. She fought against domestic violence for years. She spoke around the country and she wrote a book on this issue. If you can't trust the man you love, who can you trust? This was always my thought. Um, I trusted my ex-husband explicitly. I'd known him for 38 years before we ever got married. I thought he was absolutely amazing. We had dated off and on through life. And I always turned to him for everything. That was blind trust, wasn't it? So the hardest thing for me was to come to terms that he tried to kill me and and that he wasn't capable of love. That really hurt me, and I couldn't wrap my brain around it. The only thing he was capable of was hurting people emotionally, psychologically, and physically. And he had done so on two occasions to two prior spouses before me and probably countless other women that he dated. So that comes to our first question. Can you trust family members? Uh, Your spouse is your family, right? And if they're beating on you, can you trust them? No. So who can you trust to talk about your abuse? But you might not even know it's abuse. If it's psychological, you might not even know that it's abuse. I know when I was psychologically abused, I I thought I was the one with the problem that I was something, you know, I was the one going crazy. So, and I didn't know why. Because abusers lie and the victim it can be inadvertently abused by their family. And let me let me share with you some things. Um Families like to say things like, such a nice guy. Why are you doing this to him? Why are you saying these things about him? He would never do that. For those of you that know what I'm saying, you've heard this before. Even my ex-husband's ex-wife did not believe he would hit me because he never hit her. He was psychologically, emotionally, verbally, financially abusive. That's how good they are when they can even convince a prior victim. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. They turn families all the time. Mine didn't have access to my family, so they didn't turn. But I've seen it time and time and time and time and time and time again. Unbelievable because they're so suave and debonair and so kind and gracious outwardly but in the home behind closed doors is a different story so let's talk about ecclesiastical leaders Um, ecclesiastical means like preachers that type of thing religious leaders again they are taken in by abusers as well and sometimes they have abusive tactics as well so these guys bring the whole congregation these abusers bring the whole congregation to their side and you're the 
one that's the abuser by saying such nasty stuff about such a nice guy. Now, let me make it quite clear that the first person an abuser will say is an abuser is the victim. Victims are normally accused of being the abuser because they react to abuse. 86% of our jails are filled with domestic violence victims. When victims don't get help, they tend to abuse, or their reaction to abuse is sometimes physical. And abusers and victims both need help. Not anger management classes, they need psychological help. So um, I had one friend tell me about this one preacher. And she went to him. She said, he's very abusive. He's very verbally abusive to me. And he yells at me. He's demeaning, on and on and on. And the preacher said, this is your cross to bear. This is your cross to bear. To live with an abuser. Hmm. That is such good insight, don't you think? I'm being facetious. Okay, the women of the congregation the women of the congregation absolutely loved her husband. They would always say, Oh my gosh, he's such the nicest man and he's so kind and he's so caring, you're so blessed to have such a person in your life. I think it was all she could do to not throw up. This is not unusual. This is normal. These people need everyone they can get to bring them to their side. So what do they do? They're very charismatic. They're very kind. They're very caring. They're very loving. Or they bring the friends to their side out of fear and lies and manipulation. I had one friend say, my my best friend was even manipulated by him. Believed that I was crazy. Believed that I was crazy is what she said. Uh, my best friends would never have been a uh, convinced of him because they know me. But anyway, so when they can convince your best friends and they can convince your ecclesiastical leaders and they can convince your family, I'm telling you, these guys can win an all out Oscar out of Hollywood. And I'm not kidding. They're the ones that really, um, really played up. So, comes my next question. Can we trust police or DAs? Judges. About a whole lot of things, yes we can, but about domestic violence, the answer is a flat no. Now let me add a caveat. The answer is no if they do not have a DV advocate that goes out with law enforcement or an expert that sits with the DA and confers with them or an expert that sits with the judges and confers with them. The thing about domestic violence is it's not all written in a book. It's not something you can just learn by reading. It's not something you can just learn by taking a class. It's something you learn by experience, unfortunately. And that's why it continues to grow. As we all know, law enforcement have high school diplomas, and that's the uh, extent of their requirement. Yes, they do take classes. 
That's not good enough. Yes, DAs take classes. That's not good enough. Yes, judges read books and stuff. That's not good enough. We are doing our victims a disservice until DV advocates, and I'm not saying a DV advocate that's had 40 hours of experience, uh, 40 hours of class. I'm talking about DV advocates that have experience. I would start there. I'm talking about someone who fights against DV with experience, with knowledge, with education, who understands it. But I'm going to say the only requirement I would say that's minimum is that they've had experience in domestic violence. 40-hour class, nice on top of that, but not necessary. These people need to go out with law enforcement because law enforcement typically, according to research that I have done, typically arrest victims. Why do you think that is? Because abusers, are they have all the wherewithal. They um, they have their answers pat. Victims are typically in shock. Victims are typically fear fear for their life, or in fear for their life. Um, there's a big difference. Abusers are quick to throw their victims under the bus where a victim is quick to throw themselves in front of the bus to save their abuser. Because they know if they don't, they know what happens next. More beatings, more abuse. And I'm going to tell you right now, beatings are nothing compared to psychological abuse. Nothing. Now, one thing about DAs is they work with cops to back them up. It's like their own private personal attorney that they do not have to pay for. That the um, will prove the cop is right regardless of the lies that they have to tell to make the judges believe them. I've seen it happen. I was with a friend and I was just in shock at how this attorney tried to twist and turn the truth to make this cop look right. I'm like, are you kidding me? They're on the same team. So we have to pay for attorneys and they get a free one. There you go. That's fair. Okay, so let me share some experiences with some friends. I have one uh, girl um, who who is psychologically abused by her husband. She is physically abused. Her wrist was fractured. She goes into shock. Um, She's rocking. She pees herself. The cops are yelling at her because she's not following their direction. Now, number one to all law enforcement, if you do not know, women who are rocking and pees themselves, which they never do, aren't going to hear you. I know this is a shock. You think everyone hears you. And the louder you go, the more they're going to hear you. The louder you go, the more you prove you're an abuser as well. Because it's called borderline personality disorder. They are not going to hear you. You need to be compassionate. You need to be caring. You need to be loving. 
That's what you need to do to get a victim to respond to you. You need to show that you actually care. Another woman was beat up by her husband. He scratched himself and calls law enforcement. She attacks, uh, it says she attacked him. And all she was doing was defending herself when he was beating the crap out of her. Police arrest her. DAs try to prosecute, but the judge, judge obvious, said it was obvious that the wrong person was arrested and dismissed as the case. Thank God for judges like this man. Um, she is now deathly afraid of cops. And I mean deathly afraid of cops. She was with me in a car one time, and um, a cop stopped us for something. I was driving, and she started to have a panic attack. He just asked me a question. I explained it very calmly, and we moved on, and that was it. But she started to freak out in my car. Do you see what happens? I mean, is this funny to law enforcement that they do this to women? I don't know. This is my question. Okay, this one happened in Oregon. An abuser um, used psychological, physical abuse on his wife. Oh, yeah. You know what? Uh, Let me go back to that last one. Did you hear the part about he scratched himself? Well, number one, that's what abusers do. They normally scratch themselves. But what all law enforcement, because this is, Class 101, if it isn't, it should be. Scratches are defensive wounds. Okay? That is Law Enforcement 101. And for some reason, and I'll share several uh, examples with you tonight, uh, they're not getting that picture. That is a class they seem to fail. Okay, so this one happened in Oregon. Um he calls the police. She has a fractured nose, two black eyes, bruises all over her body, and she gets arrested. Oh, he has scratches. He has scratches. Cop 101. Scratches are defensive wounds. So, who does she trust? Well, based on her experience, she doesn't trust cops, DAs, or judges. Okay, this one. This one was in the newspaper, so this one I'll read. It was Ephraim, Utah, of all things. A man beats his wife, so she is bleeding heavily, and a chipped tooth. Now, this was, that was a direct quote. Bleeding heavily and a chipped tooth. And he gets a couple days in jail. What does wife get when she, he gets out? She gets a life sentence of more beatings, more psychological abuse. Okay, throwing someone in jail for domestic violence doesn't fix the problem. It exasperates the problem, okay? Okay, this one, again, I won't share the town or the state. A woman is beaten by her boyfriend. He rearranges her teeth, and he calls the police after he scratches himself. Again, scratches himself. She's arrested. She never once hit him. She spent a lot of time and money defending herself. She doesn't trust cops or DAs or judges. Would you? 
Would you trust anyone after that? Who would you trust? It was absolutely amazing. Um, most people don't even know what to look for in abuse when they see it. I sat in a room full of DV advocates and abuse happened and no one moved. No one said a word. These are advocates. No one said a word. Let me tell you why. He was a cop. We trust cops. We expect them to make the right choices. But they didn't even recognize how many tools of abuse that he used. If you can't trust cops, DAs, or judges, who can you trust when you're in a DV when you're a DV victim or a survivor? Forty-three percent of all officers are DV perpetrators in their own home. They are not going to protect women. DAs backup cops. Judges usually will not stand up to DAs. Bravo for the judge in St. George, Utah, who did. Bravo for any judge who does. When physical abuse is taking place, the perpetrator is typically 94 or 96% of the time the man. So if you go down to Vegas and you start gambling... Are you going to take the 96% win or the 4% loss? Well, a lot of law enforcement put all their money on the 4% loss. Except for one thing, they have a fix in it. It's called the DA's office. That's their fix. Because the DA has to protect law enforcement. Even their mistakes. Hence why we have 86% of all victim, uh, all women that are in jail are DV victims. Some, I admit, turned from a victim to a, an absolute abuser. But you cannot convince me that at least 75% of those women didn't react to the abuse that was happening to them. Locking them up in jail is not the answer. Getting them help is. Locking up abusers or making them take anger management classes is not the answer. Getting them help is. Abuse is not an anger management problem. It's a personality disorder problem. It's a behavioral disorder problem. It could be a cluster A or a cluster B, a cluster A is narcissistic, sociopathic, borderline personality, and histrionic. Cluster A, of course, is the schizoid group. But on top of that, it might not be classified in either one of those clusters, and it could be a behavioral disorder. So you have to change the behavior, and it's not an anger management problem. It's a psychological problem, one that has been embedded, one that they have learned, and one that they have transposed onto someone else. Okay, so who can you trust? If you can't trust your family and you can't trust 
law enforcement, the DA's office, or judges, and you can't trust ecclesiastical ears. You just pretty much wiped out everyone that you think you could trust. I'm going to tell you where most women find their trust. And the reason why I say women is because I'm not a man and I don't know the answer to that, but that would be a good question to talk to men. In fact, I would say that they would say they don't have anyone they can trust. But anyway, uh, the women that I have worked with, the best place that they find trust is with other victims. Other women or, or survivors, I'm sorry, victims, survivors, thrivers, all of it. Other people who have endured abuse because they understand your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. As you all know, my PhD is online peer support for DV survivors. And I have that for a reason. It's a locked site. You have to request it. It's actually, that one's for religious uh, women only, but I do have other sites. Um, It's so important that if you have been abused and you don't know who to trust, that you turn to someone else who has been abused. And you'll never know who that person is. Let me share an example with you. I went on to a religious site. It wasn't a DV site. It was just a religious site. And I said, hey, um, my cousin and I are doing um, a Facebook site for those that have endured abuse, those that have PTSD, and those that have endured depression. I actually got attacked. I was in, I was in shock. I actually got attacked. Because women, unless you've been abused, don't understand that. Don't understand abuse. So they try to be helpful. And and so doing, they attack you. So I had this woman Facebook me and she said, "Shereen, I I've been there." I know what you're talking about. I want you to come with me. I'm going to put you on a site of other sisters with the same experience. And we work together. It was an eye-opener. It was a change in my life. It was what helped me become empowered as well as help in the healing process. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me as far as my healing. Now, I was also in a physical group of um, abusers, of victims, sorry, um, where I went every week and we learned about abuse. And again, this was a religious group. on how they could help people. And how um, we could get, we can help ourselves. It was a great group. Probably uh, one of the best things I ever did for myself. So, I believe it will help men as well as women 
in these situations. Now, I use the word women because in my PhD, I had to focus on one gender, and so I chose women because I am one, right? And so I understand them better. Um, I do not understand how men feel because I am not one when they are abused, but I can possibly imagine uh, that they feel completely isolated. This is my hypothesis because where do you turn when you're a man? Can't turn to family, can't turn to ecclesiastical leaders, and you definitely can't turn to law enforcement. I did have one friend tell me that he turned to law enforcement, and they basically said, buck it up, buddy, you're a man. What? Anyway, so the healing process for them is probably um, a much slower rate. I'm actually surprised that the suicide rate isn't much higher than it is for women. Um, That would absolutely surprise me. But um, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to feel out family members before you confide anything in them. I want you to feel out law enforcement before you tell them anything. And I want you to find a community DV group or an online DV group. Also, you need to feel out your ecclesiastical leaders. Feel out what I mean by is um, you ask them a few questions. You can tell the direction that they're going, and then you can know whether you trust them. you can trust them or not. And you might say, like to a religious leader, "Have you ever dealt with domestic violence? Well, you know, how did that go? What what do you what did you think of that? Anyway." Because these groups can be abusive. Your family members can be abusive. It's sometimes not, I don't think it's intentional. I really don't. Because I really, okay, so I might be blind here, but I really think family loves you. I think they want what's best for you. But sometimes they're like, oh, man, come on, you can do this. They don't realize what they're doing. So they don't know how to help or treat victims or survivors. Just because they say uh, they help survivors does not mean they are not abusive. Don't blindly trust family. Don't blindly trust religious leaders. Don't blindly trust law enforcement. All those stories I told you about, how can they ever trust law enforcement or the DA's office or judges? How can they do that? It's very difficult. And I'm going to say, of the ones I know, which was most of uh, four of those stories, five of those stories, um, all of them do not trust law enforcement. All of them do not trust DAs. In fact, the one that fractured her her wrist, um, the DA went after her blood curdlingly. And... um, Those are the most useless people on the face of this earth, as far as I'm concerned, when they do that. Do not blindly trust anyone. They may not be on your side. I'm having this show because it is important to trust someone. And I don't want you to be blindsided by family, religious leaders, or judicial officials. I don't want you to get mad. Oh, Shereen hates cops. No, I hate cops that don't do their job. 
I don't hate anybody. But if I hated someone, that's who it would be. I don't like DAs that don't do their job, that go after victims because it's an easy prey for them. I don't like ecclesiastical leaders who don't take the time to learn how to deal with um, victims. This last week I was talking to a an ecclesiastical leader out of Colorado because I have a dear friend who is badly abused. And I asked him to call me before he spoke to her because one thing about victims is they become very upset. They become very agitated. Their anxiety is through the roof. And I wanted him to know what to expect. And he sat and asked me a ton of questions about domestic violence. And I responded to him and let him know what the truth was or how to deal with it, what it looked like, how to help people. It was absolutely amazing um, experience. I have worked with ecclesiastical leaders on numerous occasions, and uh, but very few have asked me that many um, questions as he did. Um, it was that was someone who actually cared. I can tell you that straight up. It's someone who absolutely cared, and that's what I look for: someone who cares. You will find it in law enforcement. You will find it in the DA's office from time to time. But I'm going to tell you, it's a better chance, and this is what studies show, that if a DV advocate is with uh, law enforcement, that, number one, they typically will arrest the right person. They will have absolute better data. They get more convictions. Why do you think that is? Because they have someone there that understands and knows about domestic violence. Now, I had someone go, well, that puts them in danger. Really? He's holding a gun. They need to settle the environment. Then they need to separate the parties. And I don't know about where you live, but where I do, about 50 people show up, 50 cops. There shouldn't be a problem. And then allow the DV advocate to come in after everything's been settled and they've been divided. And I would recommend to any uh, law enforcement, do not open your mouth. Do not say a word to them other than please be quiet. Let's divide you up. We have someone coming in to talk to you. That's all that needs to be said. Keep in mind better data more convictions, and the right person is arrested. Better data, more convictions, and the right person is arrested. I can't think of anything better than that. Everyone says that they're against abuse. Sometimes they make it worse. 
please fight to have DV advocates go out with law enforcement. California and Los Angeles, they have volunteer groups. I had a law enforcement say to me in northern Utah, well, we can't afford them. You know what? You don't need to afford them because if they are really for against abuse, you won't be charged a dime. My week, my next week's show will be on sisterhood. In the meantime, I want you to stay safe and remember that I love you. And we're going to have one more public service announcement before we say our goodbyes. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I improved my credit score. You're kidding, right? Uh, no. How are we supposed to be the bad boys of Electrosynth Pop if you're out there being responsible? The band is about to be discovered. This is our year. Uh, yeah, you've been saying that for a while now. You think anyone in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was worried about their credit score? I never really thought that Of we were... course they weren't. Rock stars aren't supposed to think about that kind of stuff. We're supposed to think about how many guitars we've smashed, write aggressively sensitive power ballads, start questionable fashion trends, tragically break up and blame creative differences. All right, all right, just... I thought maybe it was time to take control of my finances, you know? Start using a budget. Get out of debt. Set some goals. A budget? Debt? Set some goals? Listen, I knew that we'd have our creative differences, but I was hoping they'd involve a little more scandal. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shereen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. Okay, so like I said, um, my next week's show will be on sisterhood. Um, I actually have several shows lined up on sisterhood, different um, um, aspects of sisterhood. Um, so, uh, that's pretty much all I'm going to say is I think one of the greatest ways of healing and empowerment is through sisterhood, through strengthening each other, uh, that has experienced abuse. And I want you to have a good night. <laughs>